Often the practice of release liberation summarized as letting go. We look in the third noble truth. It's the uh, analeo, no strings, no attachment. <clears throat> and uh, mutti, freedom, chago, giving, giving up, giving. And it's uh, so. This it's quite a few adjectives used to to sum up what that requires. Analeo means analeo is a as a like a store. You know, so analeo is not storing anything, not, not not building anything up. And, and um, Ajahn Chah <coughs> used the phrase ploy wang. And, um, in the Thai language, in a particular way of working, it's uh, often, often they just stick words together. There's no real grammar or very little grammar. Sometimes nouns function as verbs. Sometimes adjectives are adverbs. It, they don't, it just, it's just sticking words together. So often the meanings come through in the context or the voice tone or, you know, it's not exactly expressed by the words. Ploy wang is a very simple expression. Ploy means something like release, let, let be, allow, <coughs> let it happen, loosen up, you know, and kind of let it, you know, don't hold it. Wang means empty, vacant, spare, free. So this interview and the one of the films they made of Ajahn Chah, the BBC, and some of these interviews asking what exactly is the nature of Buddhist practice. And he goes, oh, Ploy Wang. You know, so the translator says, let go. And then uh, the uh, interviewer says, well, how do you do letting go? And so the, <laughs> the translator tells that to Ajahn Chah, and Ajahn Chah looks and goes, Wang. Wow. He says, let it go, let it go. <laughs> you can see the wrong words. <laughs> wow. Now, Wang actually is quite is useful because he's sort of saying, be empty, but also it is empty. And I think that's really important that things, things that alaya stored up because they have meaning because they give us happiness because we we like them because they give us security it's only when that's seen as they're not giving us happiness or security they're seen as empty then letting go yeah. if you don't if it doesn't see, you don't see it as empty you don't let go of it you dismiss it push it away repress it which isn't necessarily a bad thing but it's not letting go. So, you know, so well, I'm letting go of being with this person. <laughs> it's quite letting go. Julie, <laughs> I'm getting out of here. <laughs> you know, we can dismiss things. Uh, and you can feel the difference because the dismissive is generally sort of a fluster. Of, uh, you know, uh, and, you, you know, there's wanting to get out of it. But uh, the, the ploy is like a loosening softening, loosening. So you could say there are two 
elements in that. The ploy is like the loosening of the energy, of that tension, defense, you know. So sometimes uh, letting go is like letting go of resistance to people, things, events, circumstances, you know. So then we just loosen up and it's okay. And then you accept it. Sometimes it's just letting go is about <coughs> loosening up, acquiring, you know, you're busy, you want to get things done, you're trying to get something done by Tuesday and then, oh, let go, you know. So you let go of that drive, that push, you loosen up, your energy softens. Or letting go can be about, um, you know, things that you rather treasure and enjoy and you just... You know, you want to hold on to it and you release it. And you release things that you treasure because you begin to see that actually they're not treasure. Until we really see that, then then we'll always kind of treasure it. And then we maybe feel guilty about treasuring, so we get a bit furtive and, you know, I'm not sort of... Holding on to it, but I don't really want to acknowledge I'm holding on to it. Because <laughs> for me, it's still got some juice in it, you know. So often, um, <clears throat> with practice, there's a certain um, humility and in embarrassing honesty to recognize that some things that I should have let go of by now, I haven't let go of because I still see them as uh, <laughs> fun, enjoyable. I want to have them, you know, either occupations or possessions or something like that. So, you know, then this sense we just have to keep reviewing that. What is it in this uh, thing that is so wonderful? <clears throat> Generally, the sense contact, the thing that's so wonderful about it is you get this kind of burst of happiness, bright energy, and energy rushes through, you know. So that's this, you know. so you can't say it's it's you know is it empty? Mm. The energy isn't isn't empty, but it, where does it go to? So we need that, and we need to kind of widen our awareness in order to not just see the immediate flash of excitement or energy that comes with that but widen it see the whole process yeah you know boom, and then sort of a long fading out with perhaps some dregs in it you're not feeling so good <clears throat> and so you you widen your awareness to include the whole process so when you see things in their process nature you basically see the change the fact that you can't have control so that's anatta, you're beginning the sense of not self. You can't have it, you can't control it, you can't it's not yours and it's changeable. So that, that widening over the whole process of something, that starts to tip the balance. We begin to recognise that the the input that we get or that we put into having something isn't really worth it because it passes through you left more or less where you were before, perhaps slightly lifted up or slightly dizzy or whatever, and then well, what was all that about? Uh, and that, that widening. Mm. 
Also to recognize that the experience of that widening awareness itself is has a certain pleasant quality to it. We feel grounded, we feel steady, we feel sane, we feel cool, we feel unruffled. That is pleasant, nice, you know, enjoyable, just to be rested in my, my awareness. So that, that the emptying though empty sounds, you know, like a kind of very attractive, but it's like having a free day. Oh, I've got a day off. You know, wonderful. Are you busy tonight? No, I'm empty, I'm free. <laughs> so wang sometimes means just, you know, I've got a free weekend. Are you busy tonight? No, wang, wang. Oh, great, you know, I've got some free time. So it's like, it's, it's an enjoyable sense, you know, that you're not all clogged up and booked up and, you know. Hmm? Of course, for an average person, you know, we somehow, something that wants that freedom, something that also dreads it, because after a few minutes, you think, God, what am I going to do <laughs> with this free day? <laughs> Fill it up. <laughs> So the training the mind to, to sense awareness, you know, which is the more receptive, open, sense, you know, sensitive quality of, of the mind. You might say it's the fundament of mind. You have mental activities which are coming and going, and you've got something more like a general what it is to have a mind. I mean, it's, it, it receives it's a, it receives impressions. It's it's like that. It's generally activated, but it, it's, the basic quality of it is awareness. And activities get programmed into that. <clears throat> and naturally we get kind of interested or very much associated with the activities of the mind, the liking, the favoring, the energies, the perceptions, the feelings that rush through it. So we're just trying to really enjoy the quality of, of that sensitivity of awareness itself. So it all feeds back, you might say, practices two two main themes, uh, loosening, softening, widening, so the loosening, the softening is what the smaller samatha experience, the widening, you get a view, a different view than if you just narrowly focused, you know, wider view. And the two together, some, in that wider view, you, you see this is changing, it's just that. So this is insight. So you loosen the energy and shift the view. Shifting the view is also about challenging the views that we have particularly the view of self, you know, this is what I am, this is me, this is all I can be, this is what I never am. Challenge it. You sure? Who's that? Who's that? And you find who that is, is actually a tension, uh, an imbalance. The experience of these very strongly configured self 
experiences are generally tight or speeding or sinking. They're not spacious, balanced states. They're, they're afflicted states. They're, they're craving states or they're fear states. They're, but you feel the energy of them. They're sinking or tight or locked, busy, restless, it's not settled. So there's an energetic uh, training, which is samatha, just softening, cooling, softening, releasing, opening up, and a, a view training, which is insight, and to work together. If you develop insight, you begin to, you know, what's holding all this together? What's getting this stuck? Challenge the assumptions that keep that going. The assumptions that say, I have to, I've got to, I can't, I never will, I always, you know, those sorts of experiences, the pressures. You know, who, who, you know, who, who's saying that? You know, of course, you don't find a person, but you might find a psychology, just see, but try to feel the energy of it. You know, and then relaxing, softening, loosening, widening. And then it, things fall off. It's rather like when you're not in that compacted state, stuff just starts to slip off, like uh, you know, water off a well-waxed surface or water off a duck's back. You, know, you come out of that folded-up state, stuff doesn't cling. If things innately were sticky, there'd be no liberation, would there? If mental phenomena, joys, fears, happiness, unhappiness, if they actually were permanent and self, and, and then there would be any liberation. You'd be continually fighting against it. You know, but liberation is a peaceful experience, is through really knowing that things don't stick. It's something in us that makes them stick, that sticks them. And then we need to come out of this unconscious habit, loosening the energy, challenging the view. Oh, viveka, non-involvement, you, you get a sense of getting in perspective. What's really happening? What's the, the form of the thing that I'm in? You know, so you can contemplate the sense form, but also even the energetic form. It feels like a kind of a solid lump in my chest or a pressure in my head or a churning in my guts. You know? okay, just, then you've defined it. Even that, you sort of step back from being in it and dispassion, you start to widen your awareness over the whole thing with a very empathic but cool sense. You know? So it's got a chance to release itself. Cessation. <coughs> Oftentimes, um, 
you know, when we meditate, uh, we have a quiet, we have a, uh, wish to get some stability and a reasonable enough wish we tend to focus on a particular point use that to steady the mind attention focus on a particular point and uh, so on the theme from my own experience so there needs to be um, something more <clears throat> than a point, a field awareness or holistic awareness. And the point bit is really just to build up the sense of uh, firmness, uh, like a, uh, um, dispelling or clearing away the distractedness of the mind. And it's also quite essential. If we don't have a particular point, it doesn't have to be a needle point, it could be a, you know, just a fairly steady, simple thing like the sense of your body. You've got something to keep coming back to, keep coming back to. So you, you, you shake off this distracted, you know, rambling um, um, energy. And you become calm. Then the theme is to widen. So as we do anapanasati, we first of all using... And the theme that is repeated throughout that is breathing in, breathing out. The Buddha never mentions any particular point to focus on. Now you can use a point to to uh, bring your mind to steadiness, simplicity, shortening the breath, getting it down to a simple one place where you can focus on that passing through. Give your chest, your throat could be even in your head because we're looking at the rhythm of breathing, the breath energy. But just consider that the, every, every sentence of that Sutta the Buddha says, knowing breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. He doesn't say the breath, for example. He never says watch the breath. He says know you're breathing in, breathing out. So he's referring to a process. Yeah. So that's a wider sense than, you know, focusing on a particular point. Now you can focus on that process at one point, you know. You can stay in one place and just witness that sense of a rhythmic change. And then he says, well, you know, thoroughly sensitive to the entire body. Well, that's pretty clear isn't it widening up to sense the whole of the body that you as you breathe in and breathe out so it's not a point and uh, in it but going through that process so that you've got a sense of stability you've you've sensed the breathing in breathing out and you begin to sense this energy within that the brightening the softening diffusing and then track that as, it, as you experience it in your body. It's rather like, um, you know, when they, they inject someone with, a, with a, a particular dye to check out their circulation so it shows up on the X-ray or something like that. You know, or a particular chemical so they, they can scan the intestines so they give you something to drink. It means your, your whole digestive system stands out on the X-ray. 
Well, this we're, we're focusing on the whole of the, the energetic system in the body. The, so you can feel it's kind of warming in the hands, uh, flowing through the chest, the sides of the head. And it's as if just looking at this whole array uh, and getting the whole sense of that. And so we're shifting our perception from the flesh and bones body to the breath body. Sometimes that is translated as breath body. It doesn't mean the track of air. It means the body that is, is vitalized by the breathing. And you can begin to sense that. And if you soften your attention, let go of some of the ideas about breathing or body, you just notice oh, there's warm, there's flow, there's tingle, there's brightness, there's... Just rest in that, and it starts to become quite almost solid, so like an inner body. And then uh, the next instruction is calming, calming that. So it's just soft, cooling, loosening, softening, cooling, cooling. That's the instruction to for absorption. jhana, that's the instruction and yet we use a term like ekagata, one pointed meaning you're not going anywhere else you're definitely focused on that one theme, with one intention in mind, just to be with that, calm down, that's why it's one pointed, so all those activities to figure out, to get to the next stage, to wonder where I am, to think about what I'm doing tomorrow, all that is Shrugged off. So it's this one pointedness of, of chitta, one pointedness of body, you arrive at one pointedness of jhana. And it's actually it's not a tight experience. You know, sometimes one regrets the use of the word concentration for that. Because, uh, though it's a standard, so you know, to make sense you have to use the word. It, it can bring up a, a feeling of a tension, a tightness. You know. And uh, I, I don't see that as working, personally. I don't see that's what the Buddha was, was trying to, through that practice, trying to bring around. So that's jhana's work on energy. So it becomes soft, smooth, you... Breathe out the snags, the jumpiness, the staleness. And because that is pleasant, it easily lets go of all that burning stuff, the nagging stuff, the irritated stuff. It shrugs it off because this is, this is a body that you can feel comfortable in. Buddha said it's a, you fashion your own pleasure in this way. So there's no body more subtle than this body, this breath body. There's no perception more subtle than this. This is refined. So there's a certain widening that occurs with that. So it's it's also what that does is it it, it starts to affect one's mode of attention. 
So attention may very well be from this point to that point to this point to that point to focus on this object and that object darts. It's like it darting around like a rabbit. This thing and then that thing and this thing and this thing. And this is attention more like, um, you know, something like a lion. It doesn't dart around, it just sits there. It's just, you know, the way that you see a cat sits there, just sits there. Not like a dog. cat just sits there and, you know, takes it all in. He's not rushing around anywhere. <laughs> now, for us, that, that experience is a sense, since when you just uh, widen, it changes your mode of attention. You know, that ferreting, jumping in, you relax, you just be aware. And you feel... That's almost like a training in, in, in how your consciousness attends to something. Uh, and it takes some training because, of course, our conditioning is very much to jump, to get things done, to jump to the next thing, the signal, the traffic light, the sign, the this, the that, the da-da-da-da-da. You know, it's pretty much point-oriented. So just the resting at that place of, witnessing and that can really only occur you can only widen up widen out when you've cleared some of these uh, hindrances otherwise you widen up and you just get overwhelmed with stuff so it's quite an open state you can only be open when you've got rid of the the terrorists as it were like you know craving ill will Dullness. So all that is that process. Mm. Another thing that uh, becomes more apparent first, perhaps not completely understood but sensed, is how that awareness is actually, um, it's holistic. It's not up in your head. You know, It's a certain sort of gentle quality to it, which is more like a gentle, soft, pleasant quality, which is more what we call the heart base. And there's also an embodied quality to it. You feel really in your body, still and steady. So it brings these three places together. That's why it's sometimes called unification. Samadhi is unification. Now what one notices also is that when we tighten up it generally means that when I tighten up I go into my head and then it's all about doing things I don't notice I'm tightening up because I'm in my head I don't notice until you actually what's happening in your body if you know your shoulders are folding over wait a minute what's happening in terms of the heart do I feel spacious comfortable no, I feel sort of tightened up. I feel defensive or anxious or pushy. Yeah. So just, but in my head, I think, oh, fine, you know, I'm just doing this and the other. And I don't, I don't know it because you need, you need the whole reference to begin to, to, to get the sense of how this stuff shuts you down. And I, I would imagine that it's not uncommon, you know, 
when the hindrance takes over, something, you know, you get the, the heart starts to grab, you know, starts to seize up, grab, clench, or fight, or defend, or feel afflicted, it tightens up. Uh, and then, you know, you get the, your head starts, oh, what's going on here? How do I sort this out? If you're already in some kind of conflict. And so, you know, one of the basic techniques is just to come back into your body. Don't even deal with the issue, just feel the wholeness of your body in that state. And just relaxing the chest, dropping down into your belly, connecting to the ground if you're sitting, connecting to your soles of your feet if you're standing or walking. So you widen, come into the body, so you get the whole field not just the heart field, not just the head field, the whole field. In the whole field, things drop off. It takes a little while, but, you know, because the tendency would be to keep dropping your body and going back into this thought in your mind or your passion in your heart. And then we're trying to deal with it. And what sometimes we don't recognize is you, you don't deal with it. Um... Exactly. You don't deal with it in the place you're afflicted. You deal with it in the place where you're unafflicted. You know, you come into a place where you're steady. That is dealing with it. But you don't deal with it, the disease, in the disease. You deal with the disease by coming into the health, you know, the whole picture. So when we find ourselves folding up into something, first thing to just unfold it was just opening eyes, you know, breathing out slowly, deeply. And it, that already is viveka. There's a sense of not getting involved with it all. And then you've already some sense of a little bit of calm arises. You start to challenge the view you know, that you can't do this or you have to do that or you're always this or that and the other. This is, this is rubbish. This is Mara speaking. It's true on one level. If we, if we stay in the grip, yeah, we can't do it. We just go into that grip and tighten up. Can we come out of that? On a somatic level. Now, it's not that the body itself it's got some miraculous quality to it. But the widening of awareness to, to include the whole thing means we don't get that tunnel vision sense which cramps us and closes us. The tunnel vision is the fascination, the uh, uh, aversion, mm. So it tends towards going into thought. And then that, because of our general training is thought is intelligent. Thought is what we've learned at school. This is the winner. This is our best bit, the thinking bit. So we'll figure it out with our thoughts. We'll sort it out from our thoughts. We'll think this thing through. We'll get some good ideas. We'll read another book. We'll figure it out. Old thought's going to sort it out. (laughs) 
It doesn't. Otherwise we'd have sorted it out years ago. You just read a couple of books, that's it. It's all clear, isn't it? How come? So that's one of the big views we have to challenge. So sometimes Ajahn Samadhi would say, he had such a highly charged mind, you know, from going to university and stuff. He said, just letting the mind go like a water buffalo, stupider and stupider. Not that we're praising it, but in some sense of just coming out of the, the view and the attitude of thinking and the, the tension it creates. You know, the Buddha said, too much thinking just tires you out. So you're coming back into don't know mind and taking the pressure off. You said something wider opens up the whole field of awareness. It's not body, heart, or mind. It's something that covers the whole lot. So you widen, widen, widen. As long as it's clear, as long as you can feel in touch with that, just widen it. Widen it. Just play with it, experiment with it. Widen into the space around you space behind you, recognize you're not leaning on anything, or recognize if you are, just, you know, widen and include that, space above your head, in front of you, space between the breaths, the space around you, the space element, has got this, it's one, it's empty, in that sense. So then the quality of upeka, equanimity, is the widest uh, range on the emotional register. It's very spacious. Emotionally, it's very spacious. So that's that's what we're moving towards, a sense of equanimity. Mm. means we are, not that we're not feeling things, but that we receive feelings, let them come, let them go. Let them move through. I have an enormous uh, feather bed that just all this jumpy stuff jumps onto it and it just receives it. It doesn't doesn't bounce back. It just softens. So letting your mental processes just jump onto this huge, huge feather bed and bounces a little bit and then settles down. This is equanimity. It's a wide emotional register. No aims. No opinions. Nothing to defend. And equanimity gives rise to dispassion. Dispassion is the is a realization. It's not a it's not a state. It's not an emotion. It's not a activity. It's a realization. All this stuff. It's just this, you know, we can make so much of it. It's just this. But it's a very important 
realization because it keeps us we keep we come back to that when you registered that and the you know you start you know letting all your stuff come out because actually you want to see it all you want to include it all it's a bit hair raising at times but <laughs> if you can keep if you can keep it on that feather bed you're all right if it starts taking over setting fire to the feather bed you go back to the breath but if it can keep it on that non-inflammatory you know what width just watching you kind of you know pet pride jealousy you know just there it goes <laughs> whoops uh, okay <laughs> just get over it huh <laughs> so that's really useful because it, it helps you it feeds back into how you're living your life Remember, the aim of a cultivator is to be a person of nothing. No, it's a no possessions. A man of nothing is called. Narahan is a man of nothing. As our often our, you know, the way our conditioned mind works is we want to be good. We want to be expert. We want to be something or the other. And, you know, this stuff catches hold. After some years of training, I realized I was never going to be the ideal monk. You don't realize this stuff is catching hold. You see other people saying, wow, he's really good at that. Well, he's really got good samadhi. I want to be, you know, you want to be like that. He's really sharp, he knows all the suttas, I want to be like that. He knows every detail of the vineyard, I want to be like that. You know, I get all that. So you really, really got your act together. You really know every everything somebody asks you, you've got an answer for it. You're right there. You write papers on it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> You notice actually, I know dumber experts and vineyard experts are always quarrelling with each other. <laughs> I remember I had two, a couple of monk friends of mine this years ago, and they were both experts in in uh, vineyard and dumber and jhanas. So I thought oh, these guys are getting along with others are great. Started introducing to each other. Well, they had about a week before they just couldn't stand each other. They've never been able to get together since. <laughs> They're different. They both felt they had jhana, different views on jhana, different views on vinaya. So I thought, I noticed that you know, if you're an expert on something, it generally means you've got to keep telling everybody else, and you've got to keep writing papers, sorting everybody out, and you know, going, oh, I don't want to keep doing. It. I have to do that. So I'm not, perhaps I'm not. Then thinking, oh, just going to sort of second rate. Not an expert. Oh well. And then you get people, this guy's monastery is just really crack. He's got a great place. Beautiful, wonderful teacher. All the monks love him. Everybody's great. You know, oh, I want to be like that. I want to make like that be a really good habit. You know, that's the best you could do. <laughs> Not going to be any good at that either. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
Yeah, I think I'll just make peace with myself instead. <laughs> it's sort of reasonable, reasonably good, quite good, well-meaning. Um, you know, okay, sort of decent, not an expert, but just sort of deal with my stuff, pooling along. <laughs> not setting any other people straight. <laughs> not having great visions of how the Dhamma is going to be spread in the West. Not building up the best monastery in the world. Just kind of reasonable, pootling along, you know, trying to work my defilements here and there. Yeah, I think I can. That feels about my hand, my handwriting. <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> and um, there's a sense of, oh, thank goodness I'm out of that one. You know, I'm out of that one. And then one can kind of contemplate these energies of trying to become, be, be really solid, be this, that, and the other. And this other sense you can get of, well, he's not really an expert. He's not really the best. He's not really the strictest, the most learned, deepest samadhi. He's just sort of average, not bad. It's <laughs> a perception. It doesn't seem very good. But as a realization... It's wonderful. Yeah. So there's a difference between a, a perception, which is a mental object, you know, and the realization of just it have to be, you know, who's that? No, I mean I've got anything against somebody who's brilliant and talented, fine. That's perhaps he just just flows off him naturally. Great. Well so wonderful for you, you know. Not, don't have to be you know, dim <laughs> <laughs> it just you know, that's fine, it works for you, great, you know. But it's, it's that the uh, sense in which we can take, you know, a, a characteristic or a, or a, you know, a, a propensity as something, something to be treasured in its own right. It's empty. You know, it's empty. It, mean, it doesn't mean it's useless, but it's, it's empty. It's nobody in it. It's not worth hanging on to, building up. Fussing over. What are we here for? What am I here for? Just kind of reminding myself. Is this to make monasteries work? Is it to get things done? Is it to write books? Is it to, you know, give... Come on, grow up. (laughs) You know, this is birth and death we're talking about, not some occupation. (laughs) Yeah. So sometimes we just sometimes lose sight of the fact that this is possible. So we just do good, which isn't you know quite wonderful. You do the best you can, you do good, but then you get you can get stuck in it in that 
endless restless busy tightness So loosening. It's not being sloppy, it's just the loosening of the, the mind's energy. And often we have to be quite really alert and attuned because it isn't just the caving in, it's a, it's a skillful, white loosening, your energy softening into your body and, and feeling that, sensing that, letting you letting your whole system take that in. And then you keep challenging those views that try to define you as the best or the worst or even in the middle. You know, it's still tightening up, isn't it? So you can say, well, I'm just an ordinary Joe. I'm just going to chop logs. I'm you know, not going to be anybody special. Well, you're tightening up again into another little rut. You know, it's, it's to leave that space unsigned with no signature on it. And then other people can say who you are, what you are. That's up to them, if they want. Say you're no good, you're an idiot, you're a genius, you're lovely, you're wonderful, whatever. You're okay. (laughs) You know, you don't have to do that. But you begin to recognize when it's getting a bit self-important or self-negating and what's happening there. It is like that. Ploy. Loosen up. Wang. See it as empty. It's nothing to be frightened of. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Nothing to be guilty about. Nothing to store up either for good or for bad. Then this one who has no store is a free person. Mm.